I do want to highlight a couple of those things, the, uh, the, the matching funds and the keep focus growing thing coming up. Again, I think it's, it's a big deal to us as, as pastors, and that's why we sort of put up on our own the, the matching funds for the student gift. And that, that is across all of our campuses, not just UT Dallas. Um, but I think that was a big part of my development as a college student was moving from sort of impulsive giving to planned and purposeful giving. And I remember um, a Bible teacher saying something one time that has stuck with me for so many years. And he was just talking about God. He says, God is rarely impulsive in his love for you. And he's always planned and purposeful in it. And, and just it's like, oh, wow, like this, this thing to be like God is not just sort of waiting until I feel like it. It's, it's arranging my life around the things that are important to him. And, and so I would encourage you, whether that's here or somewhere else, I know a big step in, in my walk was, was uh, with world vision. And I remember as a student deciding, like, I'm going to set aside, you know, I don't remember what it was at that time, like 30 or $35 a month to help someone who's poor in another country. And that is going to affect how much I can eat out. And it is going to, you know, and it was the, the fact that it actually affected my budget that made it so meaningful to me and began building in, in me a heart that loves to give uh, and not just sort of waiting to give until I happened to love to give, um, which had not happened in the first couple of years. Whoa after i don't i really hate this thing it's like missing all of the clips that hold it out of my way they have all disappeared can we please replace them um and uh so anyway so yeah that that i think is something that i would encourage you to be thinking about um we we learn to love to give by giving and if you want to develop that grace in your heart uh, don't just sit around waiting for God to do the work all for you. Join him in that. Uh, he's giving great things to you. Uh, the second thing is split service. I know that that's a, something we haven't done yet this year, but we do most years, not every single year, because it's it's a whole thing. But I always love those times, getting to, to do something a little bit different, um, getting to do worship and, and uh, talk and stuff with just the men or with just the women. So uh, I, yeah, I think that'll be a really special, special night next week. Okay, we've been in a series. We're getting close to the end of our series on listening carefully to Jesus. And so we've been talking all semester, just listening to different things that Jesus said on different topics and trying to, to parse those out and think deeply about what they mean. And I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, to, to be reading the Gospels, to take time to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because in all of the sermons of the whole semester, we will only cover a small portion of the things that Jesus said, but these words are life to us. These words are powerful. Uh, I even had a guy just today who was telling me that, that he'd been... Um, uh, struggling with some depression and some anxiety. And he said, but I've been reading, said I read Mark and half of Luke. And I find that when I read Jesus's words and think about Jesus, I, I feel close to Jesus and that he ministers to me in that. And uh, so, you know, make, make time for that. Tonight, 
well, first what I want to do is actually let's go to John 10.10. 10. This is not one that, that people read, uh, but this is a famous verse. It's one that, that we love. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. This is Jesus. We're listening carefully to Jesus. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So favorite scripture, it was our theme scripture a couple of years ago. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in groups of two, max three, just the people sitting next to you. Meet each other, if you haven't, because we made you move. Um, and I want you, what does it mean to have life to the full? What do you think? That's, that's all you're sharing. We're just going to take a couple of minutes. What does life to the full mean? Okay, okay, let's start pulling it back in. I'm not going to ask you to share right now, but I think this is, it's an important question to ask because when we read something like this, we bring with us certain ideas and convictions and pictures of what does this even mean? 
Uh, Jesus wants me to have life to the full. And so I want to ask you some, some questions. Do you think you could be abandoned by your friends when you really need them and still have life to the full? You don't have to answer. Just think about what is your answer. Do you think you could be single and celibate your entire life and still have life to the full? What about if you didn't ever achieve financial independence? Could you have life to the full? Could you die young and have life to the full? Often when I hear people talk about this scripture, I think what we end up doing is we end up importing a lot of our own ideas in a way that actually excludes Jesus from living life to the full. That we forget that he's not just a martyr, he's the model. Right? He wasn't just a martyr so you could have life to the full on your terms. He was the model of what it means to live life to the full. We're going to come back in a minute to to what the writer in Hebrews says about looking, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus because he had his eyes fixed on something different than we do. We have these kind of new gospels that sort of work their way into our culture and then into the church. We have a new gospel of mental health and we, we do this and of self-care. And we talk about this stuff and it's not all bad. It's bad if we think it's the gospel. And we have to ask ourselves, what is its fruit? In the last, I've got to watch this over the last 10, 20 years as we've talked more and more and focused more and more on mental health and self-care and depression rates have plummeted and anxiety rates have plummeted. Oh, wait, no, it was the opposite, right? They've spiked. The more we focus on ourselves, the more our problems grow. We have these little wonderfully wise things we say to one another, like, well, you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anyone else. It sounds so good, and there's probably some truth in it. But we don't say that to new moms when they're sitting there with an infant. You know, because then we recognize, oh no, that's actually selfless. And sometimes the right thing to do is to take care of someone else first. Sometimes the adult thing to do is to take, someone else, take care of someone else first. I want you to think, jot down, kind of like try to capture some things. What do you think it would take for you to be happy? Long term, what would it take for you to be happy? Just jot some things in your phone or on your notebook. I think it's helpful to, to take some time to even try to capture some of this for ourselves because there have been a lot of social scientists who've studied this uh, over the last uh, 20 years especially, and what they find consistently is that Americans are 
terrible predictors of what will make them happy. <laughs> that all the things we think are going to make us happy are not really the things that make people happy. Um, often quite the opposite. But I want to listen not to social scientists tonight, but first to Jesus. I think they often just affirm what he told us a long time ago in their findings. But let's look at Luke 6, 20. This was the passage that was read earlier. Luke 6, 20. And so this is Luke's version of what we call the Beatitudes uh, that we find in Matthew 5. Matthew's version is probably a little bit more famous. But a beatitude, that word just this kind of means a state of blessing. So anytime in the scripture you find like a blessed are or blessed is, like these people are blessed. That's a beatitude. And there are, there are uh, a few places where that pops up. But Luke does it a little bit differently. So Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. But Woe to you who are rich. Now we've, we're now we're in the woes. We've seen this a few weeks ago when we were looking at Matthew 23 and we were talking about how Jesus treated sinners and how he was so gentle with sinners except for one particular group, which was these sort of self-righteous religious people. And, and we looked at, there was a whole set there of woes, but these are more general. This is not woe on these specific people. He's saying this to his followers. Woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. How does your list of what you think would make you happy correlate with Jesus' states of blessing and woe? It's something we have to wrestle with. What do you think is going on here? What, what is this about? I'll ask this and just get some of you to think with me. What's going on in this passage? Andrew? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a flipping upside down. Some people... Uh, call this a great reversal that, that in Jesus' teaching he'll say things like the first will be last and the last will be first and this, this is, seems to correlate with that. Yeah? Who else? What's going on here? Nathan? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah, so a blessing on, yeah, humility. And we see that idea. We've looked at that this semester as well, that this idea that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so there may even be, and, and a lot of people think that these are states 
of being to be to be poor, to be mourning, to be um, you know not uh, not well fed, these kinds of things, and and even to be like people are saying bad things about me. These are states of being that lead to the bigger state of being of being humble. That these are things that humble me, and and it's the humility before God that leads me to a blessing. Whereas these other things are things that lead me to trust in myself and to be proud. And so they actually, even though they seem like blessings now, they can be a curse because they lead me away from God. Yeah. One or two more. What do you think is going on here? Yeah. I think like, uh, I think really what Abbas was saying, like, no matter like whether you're not, like, whether you don't believe or, or like you don't believe or you do believe, I think like there's still a chance for you to, uh, like, be filled by the Spirit. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, across the spectrum, wherever you are, there's a chance to be filled with the Spirit. Any of the ladies have any thoughts? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. and can lead others away from him and be very harmful yeah. to the church. Yeah, yeah. This is a tricky passage. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm, like, I'm going to say, like, you got to deal with this, right? Like, if Jesus is Lord, you got to deal with this. And I don't, this is not, this is not the American's favorite passage. You know, we love the life to the full passage. I have heard life to the full quoted a lot more times <laughs> in church than I have heard, woe to you who are rich, (laughs) right? And we like Matthew's version, blessed are the poor in spirit, a lot more than we like what Luke recorded, blessed are you who are poor. Because it's much easier to be rich and decide that I'm poor in spirit (laughs) than it is to just be poor. And to think, well, in the riches that I'm chasing after, I'm foregoing Jesus' blessing. But we have to wrestle with this because so much of this, you know, we, we've got these things that we think make us happy. We've got these things that we think will make us happy. We've got so much depression and negativity and complaining and all these things. And, and it's all kind of a jumbled mess And we make it a mental health issue. But I think we have to consider, could some of our depression, not all, I'm not trying to, I'm not making blanket statements, I'm I'm asking you to consider, could some of our depression, some of our inability to be happy, some of our inability to be content, actually be a sin problem and not a mental health problem? Could it be a moral issue about my inability to be grateful, to put my trust in God and what he's already given me, rather than a situation problem, like we often think about? And what about anxiety? Let's listen to Jesus in a different place. Luke 12 
This is the passage Peter read, but I'm just going to read a little shorter piece of it. So Luke 12, starting in verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. So in other words, don't be afraid of like people. They can, they can hurt your body, but they can't do anything after that. He says, I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So who's that? God. It's not Satan. I've heard, I'm like, Satan doesn't have any authority. He's going to get thrown into hell. That's not the, he doesn't have authority over this. And, and this would almost be like, you should be terrified of God. But watch what he actually says. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. See, he says, fear God. And then he says, don't be afraid. Because if you fear God, you have nothing to be afraid of. Because he loves you. He cares for you. He's not someone to be afraid of. See, we fear people when people are too big and God is too small in our life. All of this fear that we have of having a conversation with our roommate or, you know, confronting or talking or asking that question, all of this fear of people that we have is because people are too big and God is too small. And Jesus says, don't fear, fear people. And, and most of us, we don't even have anyone in our life that would kill us. Not literally, you know, is that we're not even dealing with that level of fear. We're just kind of afraid they'll be a little mad at us or that they won't be our friend anymore or what. Social consequences. But Jesus says, don't be afraid of that stuff. Fear God. Have a healthy respect. Understand how big he is and then understand how much he cares for you. And don't be afraid. We like, again, using the word anxiety because it sort of moves everything out of any possible moral issue, any possible disobedience issue, and into the realm of just mental health. But anxiety, a lot of it is just fear. In Revelation, we do get some words from Jesus in Revelation. At the very end in chapter 21, Jesus echoes something that he has said repeatedly throughout the book. He just keeps talking about all the blessings. He says, to him who overcomes, or to the one who's victorious. There's this, you know, I will give, I will give. They'll inherit all of this. It's always the overcomers. And then at the very end, the last time he uses that phrase, he says, the, the victorious, the overcomers will inherit all this. And then he starts this list of who's not going to overcome. And it does, it has all these awful things of like, you know, the, uh, you know, the liars and the cheats and the sexually immoral and all the, the favorite things, you know, the favorite sin list, you know. But, but does anyone know what the first in the list is of the people who don't overcome? The cowards. The cowards. And what do we call people who live in fear? They're cowards, right? Jesus wants us to be overcomers, not people who live in fear. And again, you know, I've dealt with anxiety in my life. We all 
face fear. It's not about experiencing fear. It's about what do we do in that? What do we do in that? Do we trust God? Is our God bigger than the things that we're afraid of? Or the things that we're afraid of bigger than God? How you handle your fear will tell you the answer to that question. Not the theoretical answer, but the real one. So what is life to the full? Let's go to our last passage here, our last Jesus passage in John 16 that we were read early. John 16.33 I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart I've overcome the world. This is the same John who recorded only a few chapters earlier, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the full. But in this world, you will have trouble. We take heart because he's overcome the world. How many people do we know who've, you know, lost faith because something bad happened? I'm like, who told you Nothing bad was going to happen. Someone lied to you. Someone didn't tell you what Jesus said. (laughs) Because when trouble comes, that should increase our faith. Because it's what Jesus promised would happen in this world. Our faith is not, well, let's say it this way. Our gospel is not a better life here and now. Our gospel is a bigger and better God. A God who's bigger than all of that. And the scripture gets at that idea in a lot of different ways. For Paul, you know, he, he talks about this life, this, this age being like childbirth in Romans 8. It's not the part you look forward to, right? This is the painful part. It's about what's coming out of it. It's about what's growing out of it. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the whole thing being like a seed. It's just, it's just the seed. It has to die. It has to go away, right? You know, when, if I have an acorn, it's not like someday it will be a giant acorn. It's like, no, it, the, the acorn goes away and I end up with an oak tree, You know, that's what it was meant to be, but the acorn had to go away. It had to die, is what he talks about. And he sort of uses that imagery for everything in the cosmos. He's like, the whole thing is a seed. We don't know what all it's going to be. He just says, but we've seen Jesus go through that. And and so he roots it all in Christ. Hebrews 12 is where I want to kind of stop. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Hebrews 11 is this kind of retelling of so many men and women of faith in the Old Testament and the ways that they lived and how some of them had great things happen through their lives of faith and others of them had terrible things happen through their lives of faith. He's like, but it wasn't about this. They, he said they all saw the things that God promised and welcomed them from a distance. They had their eyes fixed on a horizon. They trusted in God's promises. They trusted in something more than a gospel of here and now. Not that God doesn't bless us here and now, but that's not what he promises us. 
And then he says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these men and women of faith who've gone before, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He's the one that blazed this trail, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he was willing to live his life because he saw life to the full on the horizon. He knew what God had promised, and he was willing to to walk through whatever path God had for him there. And he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. I see us growing weary and losing heart at such small opposition. Life is just a little bit hard. You know, we're not facing the kinds of things that our forebears were facing, but we fall apart at them. Are your eyes fixed on the joy set before you in Christ? Or are you demanding it now? I've got to have it now. We demand it now through complaining. We complain about all the different things going on. We demand it now often through sin. This, I'm going to feel good now. Not later, now. And this is my special way to feel good. We demand it through avoiding what's hard and scary, but that we know is good, that we know is what God is calling us to. See, in this world, you will have trouble. But we serve a God who went through death so you could have life to the full. That starts now, but only in seed form. You get some pieces of it now, but you get it alongside a promise that in this world, you'll have trouble. And it's the life of faith to trust that our God is bigger than any problem we can face. That as Jesus said, he's like, yeah, there's a blessing when you're hungry now because I promise you, God will fill you up. There's a blessing when you feel like you don't have enough now because you'll have plenty later. But if, if you put your hope in having everything now, he's like, there's nothing left over later. <laughs> you know, is, is this world bigger or is God? That's the question. Okay, I'm going to put you back in your groups of two to three to conclude. And I want you to just reflect together on what's something that stood out to you or impacted you from Jesus's message tonight. And then we'll go back into our worship here in about five minutes.